This week's episode is sponsored by my friends at Athletic Brewing. Athletic Brewing is awesome. Um, they are designed for people like you and me, people like you and me, that uh, maybe we, we want to have a drink, but we, we don't all, want all the baggage that comes with having that beer. Um, they make delicious, delicious, delicious non-alcoholic beer. I'm a huge fan of the company. I had Adam from Athletic on the show previously. If you haven't listened to that episode, do check it out. They're giving all of our listeners 20% off your order. That's right, 20% off your order with code ELEVATE20, all caps, ELEVATE20. Hey now, and welcome to the Elevate Yourself podcast. I'm Rob, and I am thrilled to get to be the host of this show. I feel super lucky. I work for this awesome company called Elevation Health. And in each episode of this show, I get to have a conversation with folks from all different walks of life about how they elevate themselves. It's my hope that these conversations will make you think, force you to change your best, and as a result, help you get a little bit closer to becoming the best version of you. Dr. Jessica Gary, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for making the time to come on the show today. It's so great to get to speak with you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. This is great. Thanks for having me. So I would love for you to kind of tell folks just a little bit about your background, where you come from, and then how you got into nutrition, and then where you are today. Yeah, I will say that I was an athlete growing up, and I didn't always eat the healthiest as an athlete. And I remember in high school specifically getting ready for a big basketball game. And we went to the local pizza shop and got the like fried dough dessert before the game. And something in the back of my mind was like, this is probably not the best thing to be having. But at that time, I didn't really understand like how to justify to myself what was better, or what, what I should be having. And so that kind of spurred me to study nutrition. And so sports nutrition was always that interest of mine, just from a personal standpoint. Um, when I started studying nutrition in college, then I got more interested in some of these like public health nutrition issues. And that eventually led to, you know, working in community health and working for a food bank and then still really liking sports nutrition. So going back to school for graduate degrees in exercise science and along that path, really discovering that I love teaching and I love research. And so that's kind of led me to where I am now as a professor. Um, but along the way, I still try to stay active as a dietitian, And so I really do enjoy meeting and working with athletes and providing sports nutrition counseling one-on-one. -on -one. So that's like a very quick kind of summary of what started it and where it's led to. That is such a really great summary. And when you said that, the first thing I thought of was like the, the volume of honey buns I would ingest before high school football practice and like just thinking, okay, like this, this can't be great, but yeah. And you know, we're all sort of young and athletic. And so sometimes I think a lot of young athletes have that thought that they're invincible and like, what does it matter? And so that's really what now like fuels me to try to teach people like, this is why it matters. And you have to think of your body like a car and make sure it's fueled properly. Um, and that can be one of the X factors that really makes a difference, especially at the like high level collegiate athlete, you know, performance that I'm interested in. 
you mentioned your teaching and your research. I would love for you to just kind of share with our listeners a little bit about some of the research you're working on as much as you're able to, to share. Yeah. So I am doing kind of two different um, current studies, but everything kind of falls under women's health. I'm very interested in just all aspects of women's health, especially as it relates to both diet and exercise. So one of the projects that I've been working on is actually looking at diet quality and inflammatory markers among female collegiate athletes who are either vegetarian or non-vegetarian. And so this is just observational. We bring them into our lab, we run them through a bunch of, of tests, and we're just now in the place where we're starting to analyze the data. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't have as many vegetarians as we thought. So we're going to have to kind of get creative with our analysis, but it's been interesting just to see the differences in at least sort of body composition and resting metabolic rate that we've measured so far. Um, we've also started to transition that project into full measurements of all of the different components of the energy availability equation. So we can now start to understand if any of these female athletes are potentially at risk for relative energy deficiency, which is sort of the new model of the female athlete triad. So that work is continuing and we're starting to now build on what we've been doing and add in some exercise performance measurements to see if their energy availability, their diet quality is at all linked with their performance in, in different aerobic or anaerobic tests. So that's one piece of um, active research. And then kind of separate, but maybe more related to what I did my, my PhD work in, um, I've always been interested in fetal programming and this idea that what mom does during pregnancy has some long-term impacts. And so now we're doing another observational study of women during pregnancy to look at their diet, their level of physical activity, but also things like their psychosocial stress level, um, and in particular, targeting women who are low income from different racial and ethnic minority groups, and then looking to see in the short term, does do any of those things act as risk or protective factors for some sort of adverse birth outcome? Long term, we're kind of hoping to build a, a cohort, and then we can follow those kids to see if there's any long term impacts into childhood. So those are kind of the two active projects that I have going on right now. Ooh, I'm fascinated by that cohort. That would be way cool. That is really good. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of, and I think there's so much attention now being paid to all of these issues around maternal health and infant feeding. So um, that's definitely a study that we hope we'll be able to continue once we get some of these, you know, kids born and then we can track them. It's such a good point, and we're learning so much about it. I, I remember the first time a couple of years ago, I read a study that talked about antibiotics for children under the age of one. And the first thing I did was I texted my mother, and I was like, "Mom, didn't I have antibiotics before I was one? It messed up my gut microbiota." And so, you know, it's it's yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Well, there's a lot of things and it's to think about. it's really fascinating too when you go to like a drugstore and just look at the kids' medicine section. A lot of what's available for young kids is like homeopathic. There's not a lot of like traditional medications available for that age group. So it is a very interesting like area to study. We talked to, you mentioned the research study and female athletes and vegetarian versus non-vegetarians and metabolism and all of that. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of just break down just simply for, let's say somebody's listening for the first time and they're like, I know my body burns 300 calories when I do my workout on my Apple watch. What are some of the other factors that 
play a role in a person's metabolism? Yeah. So I would say what we calculate is usually your resting metabolic rate, right? So this is sort of the amount of energy that your body is using when you're pretty purely at rest, right? And if you're just like on the couch watching Netflix all day, your body still requires some energy to keep your lungs working, to keep your heart pumping, to keep your brain at least somewhat active. And so that's something we can actually measure um, using indirect calorimetry, but that's not the only energy that you're using during the day. So that number that we get from that measurement is in calories, but that's usually like the, you know, lowest amount we would ever recommend that you would to consume just to maintain your weight in sort of that like couch potato state. So then you have to add on to that, the amount of, of energy you're using by just moving around in your daily life, right? That like what we call non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's all the little things that you do that count as movement during the day that your, you know, your Apple watch may pick up on. On top of that, we've got like intentional exercise where, you know, you're trying to go run five miles or you're trying to do activity that increases your heart rate. That will also add to the total calorie count of what your body is using during the day. And then the last piece of it is kind of a small piece, but when we eat food, it actually takes our body energy to digest that food to then use it for future energy, which I know sounds kind of like counterintuitive, but um, there is that small thermic effect of feeding that adds like you know 10% extra on to what we're doing for the day. So all of those factors together, the resting metabolic rate, the non-exercise movement, the intentional exercise movement, and the digestive effect, all of those total up to your total daily energy expenditure. And that's really the number that we can kind of measure slash estimate and then give you a number that would help to identify how many calories you then need to consume to either maintain your weight, gain weight, or lose weight. Well said, well said. And I think that your answer there really um, highlights how one variable everybody is, right? Everybody's body's different. And then how much is going to vary on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And also anybody that's ever had Thanksgiving knows that your body is definitely working to digest some food and that definitely accounts right. for some And energy. there are so many things that can influence the resting metabolic rate. And obviously the exercise can fluctuate just within a person. Um, as we know, there are a lot, I like to classify it as like, there are things that we have control over. Um, and then there are things that we don't have control over, right? Like as we get older, our resting metabolic rate naturally declines women tend to have a lower resting metabolic rate than men. Taller people have a higher resting metabolic rate than shorter people, right? So like we just have to like accept that and move on. But the controllable things are things relating to how much muscle mass you have, what your body composition is and how much exercise you're doing. Um, And so those are the things I like to emphasize to people that we have some control over this. Now, we're not gonna radically change our resting metabolic rate to a huge extent, but those are things that we can manipulate if we are interested in doing that. You mentioned things that we can control and things that we can't control. I know your coaching at major league wellness is something that you're really passionate about and you've worked with lots of different populations and groups. Um, maybe tell folks a little bit about major league wellness and some of the folks that you work with and the programs you offer. Yeah. Um, So this is my private practice. And over the years, I've done a mix of individual nutrition counseling and group presentations and consulting work. Um, And I try to really focus in on athletic populations and doing this 
in, you know, a focus on sports nutrition. Um, a lot of times I work with people that are training for a marathon or a triathlon. So kind of you're like weekend warrior types. Um, and it's about making sure that as they ramp up their training, that they're adjusting their nutrition. And especially if it's a first timer going through one of these events that they're making plans during their training to try out some of the nutritional strategies that they'll need on race day. Um, so that's definitely a big population I work with, but I also work with a lot of high school athletes or even, you know, competitive collegiate athletes. Um, sometimes it's more with working with their parents if they're a high school athlete, um, but making sure that as their bodies are still changing, if they're still growing, that they're meeting their needs just through their main, you know, growth needs alone, and then figuring out what they need from the sports that they're doing on top of that. Um, so I really try to focus on providing like concrete strategies. Um, I'm not a big fan of a complete diet overhaul because most of the time people are doing a lot of things right. And it's just fine tuning, um, especially right around the time of like what you eat or drink before you exercise and right afterwards. Those are usually the places I try to focus when I work with people. And then I do a lot of presentations um, to groups, again, like tri triathlon training groups or other sport training clubs and groups, um, whether it's tennis or other, you know, activities, again, at the like high school or recreational adult level. It's so great. You mentioned two, two pieces there before and after training and the importance mm -hmm. of those. Is there another, like a, a third, like that, those both seem like really low hanging fruit items to me about a person just to improve performance, whether it's in sport or in life. Is there anything else that somebody's like, Dr. Gary, I really want to improve my overall diet quality to feel better. Is there something else that you would say, do this and that would be great? Yeah, I, I think staying hydrated is so important. I feel like most of us are walking around in some state of dehydration. Um, I'm nursing a seven month old. So I feel like I've been paying more and more attention to hydration over the last seven months. But um, I, I think for a lot of people, whether your goal is to improve or maintain your sport performance or to possibly lose weight, staying adequately hydrated can make a really big difference. You know, we always hear these horror stories of people who go through these races under really hot and humid conditions, and then they suffer from, you know, heat exhaustion, which is related to dehydration. And, you know, in upstate New York, we often are training under like not super hot and humid conditions. And then we might get to a race day where all of a sudden now it's really humid and we're not prepared. Um, hydration can really make a difference there. So helping people to understand like, when is it appropriate to drink water? When do I need to switch to a sports drink? What am I looking for um, with those different items? So that's definitely one of the things that I also talk to people about aside from diet. Really great point. Anybody that's ever kind of had that like brain fog, even like in a work day, right? It, it, nor mm -hmm. Normally, if that happens to me, I'm like, you probably need to drink some water. Um, yeah. We have a couple questions from listeners here, and these are really focused on um, metabolic flexibility. So this one listener said, for someone who wants to improve their metabolic flexibility, what strategies work best for busy individuals? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would say if you're trying to kind of adjust what fuel your body is using, then there's a couple of things you can do. One of the, the strategies that I 
think is really sort of supported by research, but is sort of a unique strategy is related to the idea of intermittent fasting, but it's this idea around how we stack our macros throughout the day. Um, so having more carbs in the morning and then kind of ramping it down over the course of the day. So you actually have your lowest carb meal at night. And then by comparison, your protein content will start to ramp up over the course of the day. And this is nice because it does align with some of our hormones that get released throughout the day. So when it comes to blood glucose regulation, if we have higher carb in the morning, that should be handled by our body a little bit better than if we have our higher carb meal at dinner time and then go to bed. Um, so that's one strategy that I think has been successful for a lot of things, whether it's blood glucose regulation or just sort of appetite and weight control. Um, I, from a sport nutrition perspective, I always like to tell people if that's going to be something you try, think about where your workouts fit into that. Um, so if you're a morning exerciser, that might be fine. If you're an evening exerciser, you may need to just adjust and have a little dose of carb before you exercise. But that's one thing that I've seen in research that I think is practical. Um, people are able to do it and it's not restrictive in any sense. That's a really great point. And you answered the question. I was going to ask about timing and end of the day. What if a person works out at night? Yep. Great point. Little, little dose. And that would be sufficient. Um, does, how would someone know if they're becoming more or less metabolically flexible? Yeah, I would say this goes back to kind of what the, the goal is in trying to, you know, change your, your metabolism. Like what's the end goal. If the end goal is to improve athletic performance, then I would track how your performance is right. So hopefully you have some kind of baseline assessment of what you feel like your exercise performance is, and then see, is it getting better? You know, I've done a lot of debating with people about like the keto diet or something like that for endurance athletes. And I think at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of convincing evidence in my mind that a keto diet improves endurance exercise performance to the extent that it would justify making that drastic a change to your diet. So if athletic performance is the goal, then I would assess athletic performance. If changing body comp is the goal, then I would assess how your body comp has changed. Um, certainly all of those things can be accomplished with different types of machines that might be available at a gym. I mean, you can do a lot of like pretty simple, um, exercise testing performance just at the gym or with basic exercise equipment. But this might also be a chance to connect with like your local university to see if they have any equipment that they might be able to use to measure your body composition or to do an exercise performance test for you. But I would say to know again, without doing any kind of invasive blood work, um, does go back to what your goal is. And then thinking about how you would assess for that, that goal. Really, really great stuff. Really great stuff. And I, I agree with what you said about trying to, a lot of these things are available to people at a gym and you can get some really just like easy tests um, that are pretty non-invasive uh, to let you know uh, which kind of direction you're moving the needle. Right. Um, I want to move to just a couple rapid fire questions real okay. quick. Um, you were crazy, crazy, crazy busy. We just, we mentioned your seven month old, you have to other kids, or you're a professor, major league wellness. How do you stay organized? How is there a routine? Is there a schedule? How do you do it? Um, 
you know, it's funny because I'm very much a paper person. Like I've always had a paper planner, but at this point I am pretty like obsessed with a Google calendar. Everything is there labeled. Um, and yeah, that way things change, it's easy to move it around. So that's my, my ticket to staying organized because I do, I have like multiple email addresses for everything that's going on. Um, but my one other strategy is that, you know, I have breakfast every morning. Like for me, that's non-negotiable. I know some people just have coffee and run out the door, but it's important for me. I want to model that for my kids. So they see me eating breakfast. And so that to me, like sets the stage for my day. That's so good. That is why well, I love breakfast and I'm the same way. Like that, that is like my guarded meal. Um, other ones I can do and be on the run, yeah. but like breakfast, <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I love that. And I love that for your kids and anyone, if you're not following major league wellness on Instagram, uh, Dr. Gary put some great pictures up of some of her foods that she makes with her kids and snacks. And it's, uh, it, it's super fun. And I think some great ideas for parents that are listening as well. Um, best purchase you've made in the last year for less than a hundred dollars? Ooh. Um, well, we are big Lego fans in my house. And so we, um, I would say one of the best purchases we made was this Lego chess set that we got to put together. And now we get to play chess and checkers on the Lego set. So that's been a hit in our house. That's a good purchase. That's a real good purchase. <laughs> I got really excited when my nephew was old enough to get Legos for Christmas this year. Um, so I will be on the lookout for that down the line. Great, great call. <laughs> um, you are also a certified yoga instructor and fitness instructor and all of this. Do you have a go-to workout song either for yourself or if you're teaching a class that you go to that maybe you're like, you know what, we're having a hard day, but we put this song on and it is go time. Oh man, I, I use a lot of different resources and songs when I'm putting together workout classes for myself, I would say the go-to song is Mo Money, Mo Problems by Notorious B.I.G. I don't know that I usually would play that in my classes, but that's definitely the song that picks me up when I need to be picked up. That's awesome. That's a great song. Uh, one meal, one meal. We've talked a lot about food. Uh, is there one meal that it was like, this is the only thing you can eat for the rest of your life? Or like, this is your final meal. I would like to have this. Is there one meal that you would go to? I mean, I'm a pretty huge fan of a good pizza with a side salad. Like that's kind of my classic go-to meal. But if I were to cook something, I love making shrimp pad thai. That's like, like I've perfected this shrimp pad thai recipe and it seems to be universally accepted in my house, which is always a win. But yeah, if, if I had my choice of someone else making something for me, it would be a really good pizza with a nice side salad. I love that you said the side salad because I'm the same <laughs> way. I love, I would love a really good pizza, but there's just something about pizza has got to have a side salad with it for me. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something about it together that just makes each of them even better. Uh, Dr. Jessica Gary, thank you so much for doing this. Before I let you go, where can folks learn more about you? We mentioned Major League Wellness, MajorLeagueWellness.com. Is that correct? Yep. MajorLeagueWellness.com is my private practice address. Um, I'm also Q Sports RD on Twitter and Instagram. And you can look me up at my Falk College at Syracuse University website as well. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you're welcome. This was great fun. So thanks a lot.
As I mentioned, I work for Elevation Health, and we've been in business for 27 years, creating customizable solutions for your fitness and wellness needs. That's right, folks, 27 years. And in our 27 years, we've seen it all. So whatever your needs might be, we got you covered. From fitness management and online training to on-site classes and integrated technology, we help small and large groups alike get healthy and stay engaged. I encourage you to learn more about us at contactelevation.com and to follow us on social media at elevation.health.